According to TotalHistory.com, Daniel Boone was an American soldier, explorer, and pioneer. Often referred to as the most important or most popular frontiersman, he is best known for his exploration of the wilderness of the state of Kentucky. So in case you were wondering, yes, he was a real man. He really existed. Oftentimes we hear his name in reference to history, but if you're like me, you don't ever really hear why he was an important person. Well, on today's episode, we are going to find out just why he was so important to history and to the state of Kentucky. So kick off your shoes, put up your feet, relax, and here we go. November 2nd, 1734 in Pennsylvania to family of Quakers, Daniel Boone was the sixth of 11 born to Sarah and Squire Boone. Squire was an Englishman, a weaver, and a blacksmith who had come from Bradninch, England, correct me if I pronounce that wrong, Bradninch, England, to the U.S. in 1713 to escape religious persecution and to join William Penn's colony of dissenters. As a child, Daniel apparently really enjoyed assisting his dad on the farm, but he also really liked wandering the woods and spent a lot of time hunting and trapping. But growing up, he didn't have a formal education, so he actually learned to read and write from his sister-in-law or his brother's wife. At 15, his family moves to North Carolina to the Yadkin River Valley, after his father refused to apologize to the Quakers for two of his children marrying non-Quakers. Of course, this caused Squire Boone to be disowned by the Quakers, leading him to take his family and get away. At 19, Daniel joined the army and fought in the French and Indian War. At 23, he was married to Rebecca Bryan and went on to have 10 kids with her. Just for funsies, their names were James, who was killed by Native Americans in a conflict on the Wilderness Trail, Israel, who was killed in the Revolutionary War, Susanna, who married William Hayes in 1775, Jemima, who married Flanders Calloway, Lavina, who married Joseph School in 1785, Rebecca, who married Philippe Go, not Philip, Philippe, Philippe Go, Daniel Morgan, who married Sarah Griffin Lewis, Jesse Bryan, who married Chloe Van Bibber, William, who died in infancy, and Nathan, who married Olive Van Bibber. In 1769, at the age of 35, Daniel and his brother and a friend visited Kentucky. Kentucky, not being discovered yet, was just wilderness. The men spent two years there, and in the time came across a few adventures. One thing listed on the Totally History website is that they came into close contact with and conflict with, quote, roving bands of Indians. Now, let me do a side note here. I personally choose not to call Native Americans Indians because they weren't from India, and the name was given to them by Columbus, who had his head too far up his butt to admit that he was wrong and that he wasn't in India. So it's actually a derogatory term. But also, I mean... The conflicts with the Native Americans that people faced, I think it's important to note that they were merited. 
If strange groups of people came and started living on the lands of these white men and they wanted their peace back, they would also fight. So it's frustrating to me that history is always painted as Native Americans being considered these savages when really they were just trying to protect themselves and their families. Okay, back to the story. In 1772, Daniel Boone returned to North Carolina to move his family to Kentucky with their first attempt at establishing settlement in Kentucky in 1773. His family wasn't alone. There were 50 others with them when he built his first cabin in Harrisburg in 1774. Then, in 1775, he led an expedition to blaze a trail through the Cumberland Gap in Virginia to Kentucky. This was known as the Wilderness Trail, and thousands of settlers followed this trail to get to Kentucky. When the Revolutionary War was happening, Boone and his daughter both were captured by a Shawnee Native American tribe. His daughter was let go, but he lived among the men for several months and was even adopted by them. He ended up returning to his hometown of Boonesboro, regardless of his bonding time with the Native Americans. Now, it's true that Boone assisted thousands of people to get to and settle in Kentucky by establishing the Wilderness Trail, but he apparently really sucked at real estate. Basically, what happened is that he failed to properly register his land claims, leading to many lawsuits against him for selling property that he didn't even have the right to sell and for being a crappy land surveyor. Let's just say Daniel Boone was a crappy businessman. And because of many poor business ventures, he decided he didn't like Kentucky anymore, and he decided to leave. Boone rose to fame as a character in a book written about the land surveying of Kentucky, spelled with an E at the end instead of a Y. In the book, though Boone had been interviewed, his stories were a little embellished, and soon the book was a huge hit in both the U.S. and in Europe. People everywhere were captivated by his story of adventure. This is actually why I made the statement at the beginning that Daniel Boone was a real person because for the longest time, I thought he was a fictional character as he is the subject of many novels and the character of many crazy stories of adventure, many of which didn't happen or weren't even realistic to start. For example, one of the stories talks about him being a ferocious quote unquote Indian slayer, but this is just not true. Okay, yes, he did kill Native Americans. I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but he was actually friends with the majority of the Native Americans he came across or spent some sort of time with anyway. He also never swung from vines as many people, especially at the time, loved to believe. In his mid-60s, Daniel Boone decided to leave the U.S., so he took his family and traveled to what is now known as Missouri, but you see, at the time, the land was under the Spanish rule. At the time, the state was known as Upper Louisiana. Since the Spanish were encouraging settlement in the area, they welcomed Boone and his family with military honors and even waived the rule that they had to be Roman Catholic. They were given 850 acres of land for free in the Femme Osage district, which is west of St. Louis. As if this wasn't already enough, they made Daniel Boone a magistrate responsible for settling disputes among settlers. 
In 1800, the Louisiana Territory belonged to France, and Boone lost his land because he failed to properly secure it by not getting a permanent title to the land. He ended up petitioning Congress, and President James Madison signed into law a new bill giving him his land back. But it wasn't long after that, he ended up having to sell it anyway because the word spread to Kentucky, and he had a lot of Kentuckians knocking on his door to collect old debts. You may be interested to know that Daniel Boone didn't really wear coonskin hats. It wasn't that he didn't like the texture or that he didn't believe it was right. It was just simply that he preferred hats made of beaver instead and that coonskin hats were unstylish. Daniel Boone died in present-day Defiance, Missouri in September of 1820. He was buried in a grave next to his wife, Rebecca. In 1845, the owners of a cemetery in Frankfort, Kentucky, convinced the surviving family members to let them move Daniel and Rebecca Boone's remains to Kentucky. The cemetery, being new, was promising to build a monument for Daniel and Rebecca, and they wanted to use their burial site as an attraction of sorts to their cemetery. Later, there were charges pressed because it was believed that the cemetery owners dug up the wrong graves and moved the wrong people's remains to Kentucky. However, many years later, forensic specialists had looked at the skull and the final decision made was that it was in too rough of shape to be able to determine what type of person, gender, ethnicity, etc., the skull actually belonged to. y'all thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the second ever episode of this kentucky life podcast i just wanted to pop in with a little note to say that i appreciate you so so much for taking the time and if you enjoy this podcast please follow and share it with others so that they can also enjoy it i also have another podcast called things i find interesting which i'm trying to get monetized so take a listen and if you enjoy it please follow and share that as well I want to continue to bring content to you, my listeners, for free. So please, find it in your heart to help me do that for you. Thank you so much for your loyalty and your love. Now, back to the show. Whitney Moore Young Jr. was born July 31st, 1921, in Shelby County, Kentucky, and was born to Whitney and Laura Young. His father, Whitney Young Sr., was the president of the Lincoln Institute, an all-black boarding school in Shelby County, and served twice as the president of the Kentucky Negro Educational Association. Whitney's mother, Laura Ray Young, was a teacher who also served as the first female postmistress in the state of Kentucky and the second one in the United States, and was actually appointed to the position by Franklin D. Roosevelt. Whitney and his sister Margaret both graduated from Lincoln Institute. He was the valedictorian of his class and she was the salutatorian. I don't know if I said that right. Correct me if I'm wrong. He went on to get his bachelor's in social work from Kentucky State University, which is actually a historically black college. He played on his college basketball team and served as president of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. He also became president of his senior class and graduated in 1941. He was trained 
as an electrical engineer during World War II and after joined his wife, Margaret, same name as his sister, at the University of Minnesota, where he earned his master's in social work. In 1950, he became the president of the National Urban League in Omaha, Nebraska, where he assisted in getting black workers into jobs previously reserved only for white people. He tripled the number of paying members under his leadership and even taught at the University of Nebraska and Creighton University. In 1954, he took the position of Dean of Social Work in Atlanta University. While he was there, he supported the alumni in their boycott of the Georgia Conference of Social Welfare because of the low rates of African-American employment within the organization. In 1957, he co-authored a book, and in 1960, he was awarded a grant for postgraduate studies at Harvard. He passed away on March 11, 1971. His eulogy was done by Nixon, who stated, he knew how to accomplish what other people were merely for. And though I feel it could have been said better, it really is true. While others were out living out their privilege, he was just proving himself time and time again, but I don't think that he was only proving himself. He was disproving stereotypes about his race over and over in a time when stereotypes weren't even considered stereotypes. And that, my friends, is truly amazing. I'm your host, Kelly Aaron. Thanks, y'all, for stopping by.